Why is it every time I bring up my favorite movie or song, y'all call my shit corny? You act like I don't have no taste and no flavor. I'm a Luddite or some bullshit like that. What kind of particular shit is that? It's the shit I like. That's what I like. That's my type of shit. You know? Why don't you motherfuckers just say something nice? Welcome to the Say Something Nice podcast. Film, TV, and music news, discussions, and reviews from a multicultural point of view. Today, we are joined by Tim of the Curoverse Corporation to discuss Hanna-Barbera's World of Super Adventure, all of the action, adventure, and superhero shows that Hanna-Barbera produced between 1964 and 1969, including Johnny Quest, Space Ghost, The Herculoids, My Tour, and many others, in addition to the shows that followed in the Hanna-Barbera action veins such as Dynamut, Dog Wonder, SWAT Cats, The Radical Squadron, and many more. Hello, everybody. Welcome. My name is Brandon. This is Ken. This is Ali. And we have our special guest, returning special guest with us. Hey, this is Tim. How you doing? From the Curoverse Corporation. Yes, sir. From and the Corporation. This, yes. And this is the Say Something Nice podcast. We are recording this on Sunday, July the 16th, 2017. And we are here to talk about something that is um, near and dear to a lot of our hearts, something that we all grew up on, and something that is actually being revisited in a number of ways and has been since, like, I guess, since we were kids. And that is the um, Hanna-Barbera World of Super Adventure, the series of action and superhero and sci-fi shows that Hanna-Barbera produced between 1964 and 1969 that included such now classic characters as Johnny Quest, Space Ghost, The Herculoids, Birdman, Shazam, Mitor, and many, many more. And so we did a Hanna-Barbera show, like an overall Hanna-Barbera show back in 2015. And in that show, we sort of on purpose skipped over the superhero shows a little bit because we wanted to give them their own room and their own space because there's so much that goes into them. There's so many of them. And there's a lot to talk about in as far as they're concerned. All right, so... You know what I mean? Just as a quick recap, uh, for those who didn't listen to the HB show yet, uh, Hanna-Barbera Productions is a company that I think everybody knows by now, of course. They were started up in 1957 by William Hanna and Joseph Barbera, who had just been laid off from being the heads of the cartoon studio at Metro Goldwyn Mayer Incorporated, where they made Tom and Jerry cartoons for 17 years. You know, like times were changing, TV was taking off, and so theatrical cartoons started to go away. So they got laid off, but they kept almost all of their staff and started up a TV cartoon studio, which they first called HB Enterprises, later called Hanna-Barbera Productions. It was um, Bill Hanna, Joe Barbera, and their third partner, sort of kind of their silent partner, was a live action director named George Sidney, who they met when they did 
the Jerry Mouse and Gene Kelly sequence in the um, 1944 MGM musical Anchors Away. I'm sure you've all seen yeah. that. If you haven't, you've seen it with Stewie instead on Family Guy. That's right. I guess his name didn't rhyme, so, you know, he couldn't yeah. be <laughs> an actual partner. Yeah, Sorry. after they did that, they, they uh, the three of them made friends, and then so George Sidney was their partner when they did um, the Hanna-Marbera Corporation. And they had some early success, you know, with Huckleberry Hound and Yogi Bear for syndication for, you know, like, you know, weekday afternoons. And then later on in 1960, 61 and 62, some um, primetime cartoons with the Flintstones, the Jetsons, and Top Cat that were aimed at more of an adult audience. And so by 1962, Hanna-Barbera had a really good working relationship over at ABC. And Joe Barbera happened to go see a new movie in the theater called Dr. No, which, as you all know, of course, now is the first James Bond movie. Mm. He thought, hmm, why can't we do something like that as a cartoon show? This was back when Hannah Barbera used to care about the quality of their programs. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, which did not last long. Um and so they started tossing ideas around about, you know, a action show they could do. At the time, there were a handful of action shows on the air, but they were mostly very cheap, sort of kind of syndicated kid shows. Things like an adaptation of Dick Tracy that gave Dick Tracy a string of unpolitically correct, you know, ethnic sidekicks. Um, there was The Mighty Hercules, which wasn't, you know, very high quality. And there was things like Clutch Cargo and Space Angel, which were these shows that were shot using the Synchrovox process, where you had a held, still-drawn frame, and you had some um, live-action lips superimposed on top of the live on top of the drawn frame, like the like the annoying yeah, orange or some shit. Pulp yes, fiction. exactly like the annoying yes. orange. That's where they got it from. Yes. Wow, that yes. sounds horrible. I mean, that sounds bad on multiple levels. Like, I would expect that to be, like, one of those cartoons you see in Family Dollar that are, like, a generic version of a Disney film. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, that's what that, that, those, that's 20, those sound like. Like, Angel and the Eight. Yeah, yeah. Oh. and they're even worse. Um, but so, Hannah and Marbera wanted to do something a little bit different and a little bit better because they wanted the show to be on primetime. Their original idea was to take a um, a radio show called Jack Armstrong, which was about a young boy who was an adventurer, and turn it into a TV show. They found that they couldn't get the license, so they decided to make their own character instead. They hired to create this show a man named Doug Wildey. Doug Wildey was a self-taught comic book artist. He worked mostly on Western sorcery and romance comics in the 1950s. Those, that was when those were popular. That was when superheroes weren't the most popular brand of comic books, which is odd to us now, of course. But he drew a lot of those comics for what was at the time called Atlas Comics and later would be called Marvel Comics. And so he had worked on not Clutch Cargo, but on Space Angel. He was the head designer on Space Angel. And so he wanted to do something a little bit better than that Synchrovox stuff. And so they hired him to develop the Jack Armstrong show. And when it fell apart, they said, it's your job. Come up with something different. And so Doug Wilde, he was a fan of like a lot of those action strips that were in the newspapers back then. It's so funny. When I was putting the show together, I realized we still have newspaper comic strips, but people barely read them anymore, unfortunately. Which is kind of yeah. sad. 
newspapers are dying. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, he was a fan of things like Prince Valiant and Flash Gordon and Steve Canyon, these sort of kind of like square-jawed action-adventure comic strips that would be on like the last page of the paper. And that ran forever and ever and ever. Like they were, I think Steve Canyon might still be running. Who? Steve Canyon. Y- y'all didn't have Steve Canyon in y'all's um, hometown paper? No. Yeah, I remember Steve Canyon. Yeah. Yeah. It was, what, what was Steve Canyon doing? It was basically, it was sort of kind of like, it was like an action adventure thing. Like, you know, they were exploring, they were always going places. There was only like three, two panels every every Sunday. <laughs> um, drawn yeah, in that very old-fashioned, yeah, drawn in that very old-fashioned, you know, comic book style, that square-jawed, like, Jack Kirby type of a feel. No, oh, okay. Those, and then it also had things like Terry and the Pirates back then, and um, Tarzan. But they were being printed at the same time. So kind of taking all those and the original idea of having a young kid as the lead, they created a show that they first called Quest Files at 037. And then they later thought maybe calling the saga of Chip Baloo because they were going to name the kid Chip Baloo. And I think we're all glad that they changed the name after that. They eventually settled Mm -hmm. on Johnny Quest. Chip Baloo. Chip Baloo was almost Johnny Quest's um, given name. What? <laughs> why? They didn't use it. Yeah, that's a pretty but why? terrible. Why? 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 I'm sure the market like, um, like, like, well, we can't sell this program. That's that's a mouthful. <laughs> Chip Baloo. Like nothing. Nothing. <laughs> I'm, I'm still like, why? <laughs> why? 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 Like when Nettie had to leave, Mister. <laughs> I'm more, more like thinking about the French, I can't remember I don't even know what I'm referencing but it's like a French chef saying why 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 must you do this why <laughs> why Coxworth why <laughs> um, why but yeah so Doug Wildey created Johnny Quest and developed the characters you know your lead character is Johnny Quest an 11 year old boy who's the son of Dr. Benson Quest this very pot like very at least well renowned. I don't know if he's popular or not because he works for the government. Dr. Pinson Quest, he's a scientist who does all these projects for like the for NASA and sort of kind of like, you know, like it's not Homeland Security back then. What would I guess would have been like the Department of Defense? More or less. Mm-hmm. Like basically most of his work was based around like either space exploration or protecting America from the Cold War. And okay. he was all, you know, always, you know, like caught up in some sort of, like, experiment or adventure that required him and his family to travel across the world, exploring different things, trying to find these, you know, one particular plant or a particular chemical here or there, and getting caught up in all sorts of adventures that range from the supernatural to sci-fi things to, like, fantastic things to dealing with pygmies. Um, and so, yeah. So Dr. Quest and Johnny were always joining these adventures by um, Roger Race Bannon, who was a FBI agent who was assigned to the family as their bodyguard after um, Benson Quest's wife and Johnny's mother was killed by one of Dr. Quest's enemies. Mm-hmm. Knocking fools out. Race yep. Bannon. And, that, was a, that was a cool-ass name, though, Race Bannon. Yep. I know, right? <laughs> Yep. And um, Haji, who was a 12-year-old orphan that 
they met in Calcutta over in India and adopted. Diversity oh. higher. Stereotype. Well, here's yeah. the thing. Haji, he's not the very first non-white character to be like a like a, a like a supporting like a lead character on a animated show, but he's one of the first who wasn't a complete stereotype. Now, mind you, there are some things about yeah. Haji that are a little bit problematic. The whole magic seam oh, seam yeah. solid beam and sort of kind of his English yep. is a little bit broken here and there. But he's well, not well, like well, those kids yeah, on Dick, Dick Tracy and things like that. He was like, and it's funny because yeah. he's the reason I like Johnny Quest when I first started watching. Because he was, he's even though he's Indian, you know, he looks a lot like I did. Brown, same thing, same thing. <laughs> yeah. And so I was like, oh, they have a brown kid on here. And so mm-hmm. I was, that's why I started watching it. Really? So he wasn't an overt. Yeah, he wasn't an overt stereotype. He, like stereotype. he had a personality, stereotype. at least. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's that's interesting. That you know, at, at age, you know, for you, like seeing a brown character on a television show inspired you to watch it. That's that's really. I, I mean, I hear a lot of blurs say that, and I I don't know. Maybe that just wasn't the thing for me. Oh, no, I, I could understand. Like, but yeah, I mean, that's how I related to it. No, I mean, like, no, no, I mean that's a common thing. But I was just saying, I feel it's like maybe it's weird for that I didn't, you know, always gravitate because of that to it. It was more, more or less about the story for me. But I see your point, definitely. I got you. Uh, my least favorite character though was Johnny Quest's pit bull puppy, not pit bull, bulldog puppy, Bandit. What? Get I hated out. Bandit, and the reason I hated Bandit is because on the soundtrack they would have this um, recording of an actual dog barking all the time. Yeah. And they would just run it and loop it over and over again. I just hated the sound of the dog. It didn't match the sound design. It didn't match the sound design at all. It didn't. Okay, you guys watched clearly more episodes of Johnny Quest than I did. I've seen every episode at least five times. Yeah. And I mean yeah, every version twice. of the show. Yeah. Yeah, the 60s version and the 1980s uh, Saturday morning cartoon. Yeah, yeah. The 60s one I might have seen like at least 10 times each, for goodness sake. I thought Just Bandit a was show. a French bulldog. Bandit wasn't a French bulldog. Take, look at Bandit. Go, like, Google French, Bandit Johnny French Quest. bulldog. Oh, French bulldog? I mean, you're, yeah. you're a dog expert. He might be a French bulldog. But yeah. I don't know. I just, no, I, he just looked really small for a bulldog. So I was like, oh. He's a, a supposed bulldog. to be a puppy because when they, Oh, he's a puppy. Yeah, okay. he's a puppy. Okay. Yeah. So you you said you didn't like you didn't like that they looped the dog barking all the time. I didn't. I didn't at all. I would play it for y'all, but I want to torture you like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I so um, their base, um, their base like where they call home. It's in it, America, right? Yeah, it's Palm Key, Florida. It's one of the Florida Keys. Okay. Yeah, so they they live there and they travel out from there to all over the world, like you know, like to um, the Thailand, to India, to Egypt, to Africa, yeah. to South America. It's like most I of the episodes take place in other countries. I think that's yeah. what part of why I was like interested in this in this show. Of course, I'm younger than everybody here, so I think I was watching uh, and the infrequency of. My little partially third world country and its weird television network system. 
Um, I just like to get all the adventuring, right? Um, yeah. So I was not um, of the mind to um, analyze it as deeply yet. But I'm when I looked at past episodes recently, mm-hmm. I see the little stuff that um, might might be deemed problematic. Oh, we gotta talk about we gotta talk about. Oh, let's talk no, about that no. now. Oh yeah, like Highly like Johnny. I don't think Johnny Quest Highly. as it as that incarnation of Johnny Quest. I don't think that would fly on American TV right now. Oh, of course not. And we'll, it like it so, it no. actually ties into our whole show. What happens to Johnny Quest? So. Johnny Quest, you know, adventure show, you know, dad's a scientist. The kids are joining him on his adventures with their bodyguard. And so basically every episode <laughs> is about Dr. Quest is doing something. He gets kidnapped or threatened yep. somehow. And Race and the kids have to save him. And or so so he's like Princess Peach. He's a lot like Princess Peach. He's I'm about to say he's the damsel in distress every other Princess episode. Peach. Yeah. Because every scientist in dis- distress. Yeah, all like the Cold War enemies, you know, behind the Iron Curtain want Dr. Quest kidnapped so they can learn all of America's secrets and build weapons yep. to destroy America. The chief enemy of Dr. Quest on the Cold War on the communist side was a Chinese doctor named Dr. Zen, who was as Racism. great as Dr. Quest was, but he was evil. And he spoke like this. Hello, Dr. Quest. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Overt stereotypes. <laughs> Overt. Yeah. I don't think our Chinese friends are very happy about that. Oh, no, no. Well, no I, it's, yeah, it's but you got to remember, it was 1964. It was the height of the Cold War. And so what was more scary and, and evil to American audiences at the time than, you know, either a Russian bad guy or a Chinese bad guy? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and so you had, and then also you had as a recurring character, you had racist, like on again, off again girlfriend, Jezebel Jade. Jezebel Jade. I love that name. Mm-hmm. It's so cheesy. <laughs> I always wonder if they ever thought about giving her her own show because she was a as interesting a character as the rest of them. But and that's also a criticism with Johnny Quest that it was very much male centric, that women yeah. characters were sort of kind of like, Fleeting on the original show, because Jezebel J, you know, she was a, a spy for hire from um, Europe, and like I would think they sh- at some point they should consider doing a Jezebel Jade show if they haven't already. I'd watch that. She's basically like James Bond, but as a woman, Black Widow. Yes, mm, yes, <laughs> yes, definitely Black yes. Widow. Yeah. With 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 a with a um with a less with a less um um this properly designed costume. What know, do you mean properly designed? Costume? Jezebel J walks around like she's on a safari all the time, no matter where she is on the planet. Oh, so she's in khakis. Uh, what, I mean, all the time. budgets. Mm-hmm. She's in I mean, khakis what? all the time. Is what you're saying? Yeah, khakis in one of them safari hats. Yeah. Oh come on, Jezebel, always ready for adventure. <laughs> <laughs> if you stay uh, yeah. ready, and then also get the, ready. Yeah. There was also Mm-mm. Pasha the Petler, who was the guy that the Quest adopted Haji from. He was sort of kind of this, this like, um, this charlatan huckster who was, um, who ran like 900 businesses out in India and was always trying charlatan to make huckster. money. Charlatan yeah. huckster. So are you saying including child, um, child, child trafficking? I, 
I don't I hope it's not. I was gonna say I hope he was legally adopted because you know he was an yeah. orphan. You just I hope you just said slave. yeah because you just <laughs> yeah. said you just said yeah. he has yeah. a lot of side gigs and he is a hustler. Yeah. So I might assume that Haji is a product of of you know illegal child trafficking. Oh God. Mm. Ooh, it could be. Did we just destroy Daddy Quest guys? It's not clear. It is not. It's we not, not, not I don't think this issue. is the first time he's been destroyed. <laughs> uh, yeah. They intimate very specifically in the show that um, Pasha helped him get Haji legally adopted. So we're hoping that is legal. He, um, he, I mean, he did. He did, He wasn't sold from child slavery. Say ugh, slavery, right? But what, he knew how to, you know, forge documents, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and you know, get them paper, them green papers across. Yeah, like Doctor Ray Bannon could. I mean, like uh, Doctor Quest couldn't have done that with his connections in the government anyway, but. You know, I guess getting him out of the country would be a little harder. So. Right. Because Haji wanted to see America. So, I mean, you know, like, that's why he went with the quest in the first place. And the funny thing about Pasha the Pedal was that he was, he was like a, he was like a beatnik. He was like, hey, daddy-o, what's going on? What's shaking? Mm. <laughs> I was just like, wow. <laughs> okay. But yeah, so the original Johnny Quest came on ABC on Friday nights at 7.30. This was back when the network's um, programming started at 7, not at 8. And it ran for one season. The ratings were fine, but Hannah and Barbera found very quickly that, you know, they couldn't keep the show under budget because Doug Wildey was sort of kind of a taskmaster when it came to, like, the artwork. Like, every show had to be as perfect as he could get it. And so if you when you see Johnny Quest, the original show, like it's very specifically designed. Like there's very much you can tell that care went into the look and feel of the show. Like, you know, how like the characters are drawn with these deep black shadows on them, just like in the comic book. You know, you mm-hmm. can see the brushwork on the characters, like um, the designs of the machines and the weapons that they've taken out of things like popular science and you know, um, popular mechanics and you know, future magazines that were out at the time. And even like the stories, like Johnny Quest has some of the best written stories of American animation still. Problematic elements aside. Like it, yeah. each episode is actually a very involving 30, like 23 minutes. It's a self-contained story. Like even more so, I would argue, my personal opinion, than like the, the, the Flintstones or Top Cat. Maybe not the Jets, but I like the Jets a lot, so. Mm. But so, like, they found it kept running over budget. Their sponsor was PF Flyers. And there's actually, you can see on YouTube, there is a Johnny Quest PF Flyers commercial. PF oh, Flyers, wow, if y'all don't remember, those were like the, like, um, the Converse-like shoes that, you know, kids back then wore. Mm-hmm. They didn't wear the Converse. The ones made from, um, weren't they made from, like, some kind of special rubber or something? I think so, because, yeah, they advertised that. They'll help you jump, they'll help, you, they'll help Johnny and Brace jump higher. <laughs> You know, um, but yeah, so they only made one season because ABC wanted to make season two, but they wanted to cut the budget down. And Hannah Barbera said, well, we really can't and shouldn't do that. So we'll just end it. And so Johnny Quest, those original 25 episodes were rerun. I think they were 24. 24 episodes were rerun into perpetuity on Saturday morning starting in 1965. Um some version of Johnny Quest was on somebody's Saturday or Sunday morning um, broadcast schedule up until they were inherited by the Cartoon Network in 1990. It wasn't two. I think it was like 93 when they brought up Johnny Quest. They didn't bring it yeah, over. It was all the words. Yeah. 
Bear. But um, in between that, in 1986, they actually did make a season two of Johnny Quest, which they called The New Adventures of Johnny Quest. They produced it for syndication. And it was more kid-friendly than the original show, for reasons we'll discuss later. Uh, and to keep that kid-friendliness, they added a new character, a man, a mystical man made of stone named Hard Rock. Mm. Insert awkward silence because that's a terrible name. Hard Rock? Yeah. <laughs> Hard I, rock. I've heard worse. I mean... Yeah. I've heard. I mean, I, well, I won't. I don't. I don't think his name is like bad. A I think it's interesting. Um, Not Lord of the Rings. Gollum. I've heard. Like I know somebody whose last name is very similar to that. Actually, his real last name. Well, yeah. Uh, at, least, at least it wasn't Boing. <laughs> Boing. My mind did not go there, but okay. But yeah, and so in that '86 series, they also introduced a character named Jesse, who was a girl Johnny's age who had a crush on Johnny in that original series. Um, they would take Jesse and change the character around in the future, in future established, established versions. So in 1993, they made a made-for-TV movie of Johnny Quest called Johnny's Golden Quest that came on USA. And in that um, one, they introduced Jesse, and she turned out to be Race, Race and Jezebel Jade's secret daughter. Mm. da da and that that um, movie also is sort of kind of red cost Johnny Quest a little bit because it shows his mom as alive and it shows her die in that movie. Spoiler alert, I guess. In wow. the original show, she was supposed to have died before the show, the events of the show began, but it shows oh, wow. her dying the same way by being killed by Doctor Zen, which is why Doctor Zen is Doctor Quest, you know, mortal enemy. I have killed your wife, Doctor Quest. And they were very, the the dialogue is very, very on the nose. Not not really. I'm, I'm just. Being I mean silly. to say, like it's not. I shouldn't say on the nose. It's very, very straightforward. You know, it's, there's no subtlety in it. It's very. This is what I have done. This is what I am going to do. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's in that old school Stanley Jack Kirby type of feel. Like you know. Mm-hmm. Like they, they they there was nuance, but there wasn't. It wasn't like hidden nuance. It was you know. A lot of it was straight to the point. Um, Johnny's Golden Quest was popular enough to where they went ahead and made a second one for TNT called Johnny Quest versus the Cyber Insects. Now, at, by this point in time, Tom Turner had bought Hanna-Barbera, and they were determined to have, because they did like one of those, you know, Q, one of those like um, Q-score tests and found that Johnny Quest was one of their most popular uh, properties that they weren't utilizing properly. So mm-hmm. they decided 1996 was going to be the year of Johnny Quest. Okay. And so Johnny Quest versus the Cyber Insects was supposed to be the last installment of quote-unquote classic Johnny Quest to pave the way for a brand new reimagining of Johnny Quest that they called The Real Adventures of Johnny Quest. Hmm. Um, did y'all watch the, I know Tim watched it, but did y'all watch the show? Oh, yeah. I, be- I, yeah. I barely remember it. I mean, I remember, but I I don't. It's not memorable. I don't remember this. You don't remember it, Ali? Yeah, I don't remember this. Everything, all right, so it was around the same is, time. As, uh, is it nine, wasn't important to the island, Brandon. Everything is all jumbled <laughs> up to me. So unless right, it so is a specific thing you can point out, I won't really know. Okay, so Real Adventures of Johnny Quest was um, Johnny was Johnny Haji and Jesse were all a little bit older. Johnny was like thirteen. Haji was like fifteen, and so. 
they tried to do something that was a little bit more, not really, it wasn't really edgier. It was more along the lines of what was a action show at that time. Sort of kind of in the vein yeah. of like the and not as good as but in the vein like the Batman animated show and like Mighty Max and things like that that were on the air at the time. Um the biggest difference was that there was there were often segments where the characters escaped into a virtual reality world that Dr. Quest had created called Quest World. And which was corny as hell. Yes, because they were animated in That's Quest so World corny. using CGI at the time. And the yeah. studio that they hired to do the CGI was a company called Buzz FX. They worked out of somebody's garage with like, like low quality computers, and they hired like mostly inexperienced animators to do the 3D animation. And so things were jerky. They were trying to do motion capture, it didn't quite work out. People slid all over the ground. It was a mess. Yeah. And even worse, like the actual show itself was really a really troubled production. Like the original producer was a guy named Peter Lawrence. He had created the concept of the show and he got fired before they finished the first season. And so there's people who did it season two decided, well, we don't like his show. We're going to take it back to the original version of Johnny Quest, just make him a little bit older and that's it. Because, you know, Peter Lawrence had brought in new villains and everything. There was no Dr. Zen on his version. There was no Jezebel Jade. And the new people said, fuck all of that. We're bringing back Jade and Dr. Zen and all of that. And so if you see Johnny Quest, The Real Adventures, season one is like computer and, you know, computer animated in color. Season two is cell animated in color and looks more like old fashioned Johnny Quest. They even changed the voice actors. So, you know, like, it's a little bit of a mess. But at the time, um, Turner was determined it was going to be a gigantic hit. They aired it on TNT, TBS, and Cartoon Network at the same time. So it aired like 20 times a week. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, they were pushing it. Yeah, they tried. They did try. They were also supposed to have done a Johnny Quest live-action movie at that time. That movie is still, as of this recording, in development hell. I think last I heard, Robert Rodriguez was going to take a shot at it, and they wanted The Rock to play Race Bannon. Oh, God. That's, that's <laughs> too on the nose. He doesn't have to be in everything. He does not have to yes, be. That's what you think. <laughs> but I would watch, I would, I would be is, up for a Johnny Quest live-action movie. Yeah. It's, it seems such an obvious idea. I think it's I know, right? pretty good. It's just that it's just that um, it's a pity that it took this long because there have been so many movies kind of like that. And so Spy that Kids. Are in the, yeah, so All for the people Spy who are Well, didn't film. Robert Rodriguez direct a Spy Kids movie? Yes, he did. Yes, he did, didn't he? Troublemaker, mm-hmm. uh, Troublemaker Studios, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, so now all the the stuff that came after it, which is almost like the same thing that happened to Ghost in the Shell, mm-hmm. kind of like you think about it, Ghost in the Shell spawned so many different oh. movies about um, cybernetic enhancements and the the issue of AI versus the anime, you know, the not, human, not blah, the blah, blah. Year, but, which is terrible. No, no, yeah, yeah, not the, yeah, not the, not this one, the the original animated movie, but way, way, way back when. That yeah. now it's almost the same with Johnny Quest. Johnny Quest has spawned so many different iterations of boy, boy spy, um, 
you know, adventuring um, teenagers or young people, blah, blah. Now, when it comes out in theaters, people are going to think, oh, well, they're just copying off of blah, 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 when really and truly, Johnny right. Quest was the original. Exactly. People will think it's a copy, it's a copy like, of, of the, Cody Banks or something. Yeah, or yeah. even the Venture right. Brothers, which, of course, is a very famous Johnny Quest yeah. parody from Adult Swim. Exactly. Or James yeah. Bond Jr. Yes, James oh, Bond Jr. James Bond Jr., yeah. That was Didn't, so funny. Uh, th- when, when did Thunderbirds come on? That was in 67. 60s, yeah. The, the puppets? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Because I remember watching the that. Super Marionation. Yeah. Yeah. That that made it over to the island, of course. Bruh, <laughs> um, I, I lived for that show. My God. I couldn't stand it. I just, I don't know what it is about that show, but man. Thunderbirds are go. I could not miss <laughs> it the creepy ass puppets. The vehicles and the bases. The secret bases. I know. It was like freaking, and that was a time when like, it was a, you know, as a kid, it was like, it's all about like uh, planes and um, fast cars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all these planes, kind of, uh, cars, trucks and rockets. Whatever, so. There you go. So, yeah. A yep. vehicle with a giant number. And, <laughs> and Johnny Quest had um, one of the most lit, Instrumental theme songs in TV history written by um, Hoyt Curtin. And there's actually so many things besides things we named that take influence from Johnny Quest. Like, for example, The Incredibles is very much designed around sort of kind of that 60s Marvel meets Johnny Quest sort of a look. They even copy like yeah. Dr. Zen's um, Robot Spy in that movie. Yes, they do. And I, I, was, the, the I, iPod, I remember being in the yeah. theater like, it's the Johnny Quest album! <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. You know, The Incredibles is the it's the best uh, Fantastic Four movie we'll ever get. Yes, ever. it is. Aww. we will never get anything better than the, the than The Incredibles. Never Very much never. so. You've never <laughs> seen I did also want to point out that um, Tim Matheson, the voice of Johnny Quest, he as an adult he became a star on TV and movies. He um, played the vice president on The West Wing. He was also the huh. bad guy in um, the second Brady Bunch movie, a very Brady sequel. Mm. So he did. I haven't seen either one of those. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I'm I'm sad John's not here today because if I he had heard that he would have flipped when he learned that it was the same guy. Is he a fan or something? Of the West Wing, very much so. Yeah, Mm. John loves the West Wing. Mm. It's a good show. Yeah. All right. So the success of Johnny Quest, because even though they only made one season of it, they did go ahead and put it on um, Saturday morning. That did lead to other superhero and superhero-like shows that Hanna-Barbera did. The first one, which is still sort of kind of in that old-fashioned Hanna-Barbera cartoony, you know, Huckleberry Hound style, was um, Adam Ant, which was on the air in 1965 as part of the Adam Ant Secret Squirrel Show. You know, Adam Ant was basically a super strength, and he fought sort of Mm -hmm. kind of cartoony bad guys rather than, you know, anything realistic because he was an ant, but super strength. You know, it was a cute cartoon, but it sort of kind of helped pave the way for what would come later. Which came the next year on CBS in 1966. Um, what, and it was this show here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Space Ghost, well, the, the actual, I mean, the broadcasting was Space Ghost, but it sort of kind of became known as Space Ghost and Dino Boy because they're, they would show two Space Ghost cartoons, and then the middle cartoon would be Dino Boy in the Lost Valley about 
a little kid who got trapped in a valley that was stuck in time, back in time in prehistoric times. And so huh. the little kid and Ugg the caveman and Bronte the brontosaurus would have adventures together. Um, but the main attraction, of course, was Space Ghost. Space Ghost was sort of kind of like Batman in space. He was a with guy a, who had... With a monkey. <laughs> That's later on. Who, That's later on. Who had a whole lot of gadgets <laughs> on his uh, wristbands and on his belt that will allow him to shoot all sorts of different type of beams, tractor beams, heat beams, cold beams, freeze beams, um, laser beams. Um, mm-hmm. he, using his suit, he could become invisible, which, you know, space ghost. And he lived on Ghost Planet, and he had two teenage sidekicks, the twins Jan and Jace, and Jan and Jace had a pet monkey named Blip. And um, Jan, Jace, and Blip, they didn't have, like, Space Ghost beams, but they did. They could turn invisible, and they did help him in his adventures. And when they didn't help, they were being used as bait or being kidnapped, you know, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All the time, every day. All the time. I thought it was interesting with Space Ghost that, you know, he sort of kind of came prepackaged with his own, you know, bat family, basically. Uh-huh. Like, from the yeah, jump. pretty much. Um, as opposed to Doug Wildey, the lead designer on Space Ghost was a man named Alex Toft. Mm-hmm. Who we'll talk about now because literally every other show we'll talk about today, Alex Toft was involved in. He was sort of kind of like the go-to action guy at Hanna-Barbera from this point forward. Um, so as a comic book artist, he worked on a lot of the classic DC comic books from in the 40s and 50s, a lot of the um, JSA stuff, Jay Garrick Flash, Alice Scott Green Lantern, Johnny Thunder, all that stuff. He actually created Rex the Wonder Dog. Um, oh. Yeah, He actually hired Doug Wildey to work on Space Angel at the Synchrovox um, studio in, 1960, in 1962. He designed a lot of those characters hmm. for that show. That's where they met. And so when Doug Wildey got Johnny Quest, he hired Alex Toff to be one of his layout artists. And then when they went on to do more shows like Johnny Quest, Alex Toff got a shot at, because he complained about not being able to design the characters he wanted to design, he was able to design Space Ghost. And so Space Ghost, you know, was a big hit. I still think it's of the superheroes, he's the most iconic, that one that Hanna Barrett came up with. Um, yeah. And part of that's because yeah, he came like with the, his own. Yeah. yeah his he's own like the, the Batman. He's like of, the. Yeah. I say he's more like the Superman. He's like the Superman. Yeah, yeah. And Birdman could be like Batman or like or like Aquaman, which we'll talk about later. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Space Ghost uh, had his own uh, Rhodes Gallery, the Council of Doom, who in a very epic for Hanna-Barbera six-part um, season two opener for Space Ghost, all joined together and like kicked Space Ghost and the Space Twins' asses all across the galaxy, which forced them to interact with all the other Hanna-Barbera superheroes because they were being shot from this dimension and that dimension. And so they needed help from all the other characters we'll talk about a little bit later. But yeah, like, people will know these names now from the multitude of Cartoon Network and Adult Swim shows that have starred them. Um, Zorak, Moltar, Brack, mm-hmm. Metallus, yep. Black Widow, and Don't The Creature me. King. And That's it's so right. funny going back and watching the original show, seeing the characters being so serious and thinking about now, you think of Brack, you think, Hi, my name is Brack! 
<laughs> yeah. And the Don't Touch Me song. Use your Google. Use your Googles. But yeah, in the same year on the same network that it had Space Ghost, um, Hannah Rivera did uh, Frankenstein Jr. and The Impossibles. Oh my God. <laughs> what? What? I've been trying to remember what this cartoon was called forever. <laughs> now, there we go. <laughs> now you know. Now you know. You have no idea. I have been trying to remember what that cartoon is called for so long. And nobody could tell me. All I could do was describe their powers. And nobody can remember. So that's what they're called. <laughs> yes, they're called the Impossibles. They were like a rock band, like go. the Beatles, who they oh would change into their secret identities of Coil Man, Fluid Man, and Multi Man. And they would fight oh crime. Oh my God. <laughs> and the other oh, seven was... Um, yes. <laughs> Sorry. Get it out. Get it out. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> wow. He's having a moment. He had a moment. He got he, he needs a moment. He needs a moment. Give, give that man a moment. Give that man just a moment. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> and Don't you love it when stuff like that happens? Yes. <laughs> Interesting thing about the Impossibles, Hannah Marbella later repurposed their powers when they did the uh, Super Globetrotters in 1979. Mm-hmm. So you basically had a black multi-man, a black fluid man, a black coil man. Hmm. Flu- what? Fluid what? Okay. Fluid man. He turned into water or like water-like substance. Mm-hmm. Okay. It was useful. <laughs> I'm sure it was. Let's squeeze Pour him up, of water. <laughs> <laughs> the other segment was Frankenstein Jr., where a little boy named Buzz Buzz Conroy had his scientist father create for him this gigantic robot that he could control called Frankenstein Jr. that he would use to fight crime. I don't remember these cartoons at all. Really? Nope. Oh my gosh. I used to watch all these all the time. Hmm. I, like Sundays when the Cartoon Network first started up. This is all they would show. And yeah. they, they did it for a couple of years deep until they started getting their own shows. Like Saturday and Sunday, they would show exactly. like a big block of these super adventure shows. Showing up their opening credits, before, mind uh, you, but they would like run them all together and mix them together. Yeah, before they got all the cartoon cartoons. Yeah. Shows. But yeah, Frankenstein Jr. and the Impossibles ran for, um, they were in production for one year on CBS. And so a Space Ghost was in production that show for sounds just one like year that. and then the six-part special the second year. It sounds just like Gigantor. Yeah, it does. Which one was first? Does. Yeah, you know. Might be Gigantor. Gigantor probably was first, yeah. You know, you got Yeah, Gigantor was first. Yeah, the giant robot. Mm, yeah. Look at him, my bear. Copying already. You going steal, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so that brings us to 1967. Um, so CBS was very happy with Space Ghost to the end that they greenlit three companion shows to go with it in 1967. And that season two Space Ghost opener featured Space Ghost meeting the characters from these three shows. Um, so we had Moby Dick and Mighty Mitor, which was a two-segment show where one segment was about um, two little boys who got lost at sea and were say, saved by the killer whale from, um, is it Dickens who wrote Moby Dick? It's not Dickens. Gosh. No. The, mili- the, the um, literary people are going to shoot me. Um, 
Um, crap. Herman Melville. Herman Melville wrote uh, Moby Dick. Yeah. From his book. Yeah, Melville. Yeah. So you had Tom Tubb, which is not a PC name because he was, he was a, little, a little round boy. Um, and their pet seal named Scooby, which I <laughs> assume is a name Hannah Barbera liked, so they would use it later for a dog. There's Apparently. a very funny episode of Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated where this, the Mystery Incorporated kids meet um, Tom Tubb and Scooby the Seal. And Scooby the Scooby is jealous that the Seal has his name. <laughs> and so they would be, you know, go on adventures underwater. Um, ours with that ever-present water filter Hammer Bear used over all their water footage where it bubbled and waved all the time. And they would get into trouble and call Moby Dick to come and save them. He was like their cheat code, more or less. Yeah. And Deuce the X other set, what happened? Code. I said Deuce X Machina. Yes, very much so. Yeah. Much like the other segment on the show, which was my tour. My tour is basically Shazam set in prehistoric times. Um, a teenage boy named Tor helps an old man um, who's set by a pterodactyl. The old man gives him a magic um, club because these are their, their cavemen. And the magic club turns Tor into a superhero, my Tor, with uh, flight power, super strength, and pretty much not even near invulnerability. He's invulnerable as fuck because they try to fight him and yeah. nobody can stop my Tor. And my Tor also has a um, taught the dragon who, when he transforms, becomes a fire breathing dragon. And they are there to protect um, their village and the princess Shira and the prince uh, Little Rock. And Lil Rock's such a Mitor fan that he likes to put on a Mitor mask pretending that he's Mitor, which causes more trouble than helps anything. He's scrappy, he's scrappy dude. He is scrappy dude. Yes, he is. I remember. I remember yes. this. Yes. <laughs> I remember his, I, this guy, the way he looks, but I don't remember these cartoons at all. Okay. Um, I just remember it not for, not too much for Mitor, but for the kid, because the kid would like um he would hop on this this bird. Yeah, a dodo bird kid. Work. And and I remember too that I used to mistaken Thundar with Mitor. <laughs> I guess to mix them up, so Huh. Yeah, Thundar came a lot later. Oh Thundar is much yeah, later. In the eighties. Yeah, much later. Next up was the yeah, Herculoids. Demon dogs. Yeah. Next up was the Herculoids, which was a <laughs> show that was set on the um, the planet as Amazot, where everybody had high-tech science stuff, but the people still dressed like K people a little bit. So it was this weird mix mm-hmm. of prehistoric culture and like high futuristic tech. And they would fight, you know, monsters and mm-hmm. scientists on their planet with the help of um, so it was a family. It was um Xandor, his wife Tara, and their son Dorno. They were already humans, they would um mm-hmm. fight crime using well, not crime really, but like evil. Using this team of monsters that they called the Herculoids, um, Zok the dragon who could shoot laser beams out of his eyes at his tail, um, Igu the rock monster who was super strong and always grunting all the time, Tundro the rhino monster he would shoot um, these sort of kind of supercharged uh, I don't know what you call them not really grenades but like hot, hot rocks, rocks yeah out, out of his, out of his yeah, head it's like hot rocks and Gloop yeah. and Gleep which were these plasma yeah. monsters who could like bend and stretch into any shape necessary like parachutes. Um, water rafts, anything like that. So I remember this cartoon because of um, you said Gloop and Gleep. Yeah, yeah, I remember that cartoon for that because 
<laughs> they could morph. Yeah, the sound. And then they could morph into anything. Yeah, the anything. sound they make was so distinct. Yeah, yeah. they could yeah. morph into anything. So I was like, okay, so that's the that's the hook of the show is what they're going to turn into this time for me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yep. And then you had Shazam, which was, which didn't, um, Hercules and Shazam were their own half hours. They would have like two 11-minute episodes instead of like a two six-minute episodes with like a, like a filler in between. And Shazam was about these two kids um, in Maine named Chuck and Nancy, which I had to think about where I heard those names before. Those are the names of the black kids on the Archies, Chuck and Nancy. And the Archies hmm. must have stole them from this because this came first. Before they did. Um, so Chuck and Nancy were two kids who in Maine somehow found a treasure chest filled with um, items from the Middle East, including a ring that was broken in half, which one side said Sha, which one side said Shaz, and the other side said Zan. They put them together and it spelled, and they said at the same time they put it together, Shazan, which they found was a magic word that transported them back into the times of the Arabian Nights. And so Chuck and Nancy are. Um, set to fight all sorts of, you know, mystics and magicians and sorcerers in, you know, the Middle East. And they are able to put their ring together and call upon Shazan the Genie, who was a cheat code himself. He could do anything and everything, except take them back mm-hmm. to 1967 America. In order to do that, they had to find the rightful owner of the rings, the wizard who lives on, like, the Seventh Mountain or whatever it was. And so they were going adventures. Um, flying on Kabubi, their flying camel who sounds like Scooby-Doo because Don Messick did his voice. And they would travel yep. across, you know, the Middle East trying to find this wizard to give the rings back so they could go home. Now, I didn't know, Ken, I didn't know you hadn't heard of Shazam because you would tell us before the show that you were like, so clearly they were copying off of Shazam, which, yeah, because they made my tour, which is, which is Shazam just in prehistoric times. They knew what they were doing. I don't, and I didn't know my yeah. tour either. Yeah. So this was this was in the interim where there was no Shazam comics being printed. This was right before okay. DC had um started printing them again. So and all these people who made the show pretty much grew up um either grew up on Captain Marvel or were around when Captain Marvel was super popular, so they knew steal from the best, you know. Mm-hmm. Um you mean Shazam to people today. Yes. Yeah. Shazam. Yeah. Captain Marvel is Marvel. Yeah. When I was a kid, to not to not be confusing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they have to do that now. It's just um, Marvel's making that movie. They came and called Captain Marvel nowhere they wanted to, because people will, will be confused. And as a matter of fact, when I was a kid and I was reading the Shazam comics that were being printed in the in the '90s, Jerry Orwell series, I would, I was, um, people would be like, "What are you reading, Brandon? Oh, I'm reading Shazam. You mean the genie?" Because they would think I meant Shazam. Uh, okay. So it's, yeah. So it's. I guess it's just one of those things. Where I thought they were confusing it with the Shaquille O'Neal movie. No, this was before um, Kazam. This was Which like is the, Kazam. This was like ninety-four, ninety-five. Yeah. The movie came out in but the other thing is too. The other yeah. thing is too is like is is the N versus the M, right? So yes. This, so Shazam is this thing, this cartoon. And Shazam, Shazam has two Ns. The, huh? No, Shazam has two Zs. Shazam. I mean, two Zs. Yeah. What am I? I yeah. can't right. spell today. <laughs> no, I turn. Good. I turn my Zs to the side. <laughs> it's all good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we're talking about before the show, you were saying that Shazam laughs like, um, like um, who is it on The Real Housewives? 
That it when Shazam laughs, it looks just like that one meme of Sheree Whitfield from um, <laughs> Real Housewives of Atlanta. The one thing where she's like laughing and her ponytail is swinging in the back, and um, <laughs> she she waving her hand like mm mm like ho ho little what. Just like Shazam laughs, just like that in the cartoon <laughs> with the ponytail and everything. It's just like one of those cosmic coincidences. <laughs> I, I know Andy from Bravo didn't set her up like that, right? With um, Barney Phillips doing that great Shazam voice. Ho ho, little masters! What would you have me to do today? Little masters, hmm, this thing is so racist. Oh yeah, yeah. Shazam was definitely I know, right. Back. <laughs> Yeah. And, talk, and taking Magical Negro to new levels. Very much so. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Over on NBC, Hanna-Barbera made a show called Birdman and the Galaxy Trio, which featured two segments. Um, the Birdman segment featured the superhero Birdman, who um, was a guy who got his magic powers from the sun, which allowed him to fly and uh, fight crime and shoot solar beams to fight crime. Okay. Now him and his um, his pet. Um, what happened? I, no, I'm saying now you're now you're you're starting to to get into where I was like actually like um, mentally there in terms of being <laughs> okay. Like, you know when you're like a little kid when yeah. you're just watching car- stuff because you're older cousins. Yeah. So now I'm now I'm just like okay. So here's the era where I was like I actually know what I'm watching as opposed to I'm only watching because my older cousins are forcing me to. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so Birdman and his pet Eagle Avenger would fight crime together um, under the watchful eye of Falcon 7, sort of kind of the FBI agent that he was assigned to. Um, Birdman get, got on my nerves because Birdman was a Why? punk. Why? Birdman no. was a punk because, no. you know, he couldn't be in the dark. He couldn't be <laughs> from the sun too long. Yep. He couldn't be inside the doors too long because he would lose his powers. Like, I'm losing my yeah. powers. I'm fading. Avenger, open a window. <laughs> He's look. Wow. He has You know what? That was every episode. Dude. He has yes. issues that he's he has that issues, okay? Episode. He's trying to work it out. <laughs> it's like, like wouldn't he have like some kind of like solar device, like a solar battery that he could carry around so he can stay powerful? He learned to get one in one episode. He didn't he decided, oh, I need a solar battery and went back home to Bird Lair and got one. He so has he some survive. specific so he had some specific handicaps on OCDs, Brandon. <laughs> Just let he him Handicap heroes matter. <laughs> yes. Yes, he is. Wow. That's, yeah, that's apt. That's very apt. He is apt. Wow. And then in one Just... episode, he saves a young boy who's been shipwrecked and has lost his father at sea. And he does this by giving the young boy some of his powers. And so the young boy becomes bird boy. And Bird Boy can't actually fly by himself, so he needs um, mechanical wings instead of real wings that Birdman has. Oh, yeah, that's right. Metal wings, yeah. Yeah. And and so... You, and then the other segment was the Galaxy Trio. These three adventurers, um, Gravity Girl, Meteor Man, not Robert Townsend, and Vapor Man, um, who yep. would fight crime out in, like the name says, out in, in the middle of space. They were sort of kind of like a... Bootleg Fantastic Four without the Human Torch. Well, without the Mr. That's Fantastic, act. really, because Vapor Man was basically the yeah, Human Torch. That, the power that works. That works. Yeah. Because yeah. Meteor Man was super strong. Gravity Girl could, you know, could make things, you know, um, things levitate. You know, it was sort of kind of like the same sort of setup. 
Um, so much so, which did been familiar to Hanna-Barbera because for ABC, they were producing the Fantastic Four animated show that same year. Yeah. 67. For which they didn't really bother to do any writing. They actually just went and got the comics and um, blew them up and made them storyboards. Yep. And they so the comics outright. It actually was a good idea because it's literally the most um true to form and authentic adaptation of the Fantastic Four that you will ever see. Because they just made what was in the book with little yeah. to with few changes, only changes to take out characters they didn't have the rights to. So there are episodes like they have the origin episode where they get their powers and everything. You see Dr. Doom and everything like that. They have the episode where they meet Galactus and the Silver Surfer. Yeah. You know, before they realized those characters would be like the big hits that they, beca- they became later. And it's sort of kind of surreal watching it because it's like, just by being lazy, they made some good cartoons. <laughs> yes, they did. And a lot of uh, a lot of great lines. Yeah. A whole lot of great lines. Just, Come on, just, stretch just out. It's clobbering time. Yeah. Clobbering time, yeah. The thing. Read, read. My uncle's <laughs> are working. Eventually, we'll start hearing that more when it comes to Scott, Scott, Gene, Gene, yeah. Scott. Yes, Johnny, turn your flame off. You're using too much oxygen. Sue's just fainted. <laughs> and if you're a hip hop fan, you 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 know these voices from uh, MF Doom. MF Doom's yeah. uh, album, Operation Doomsday. <laughs> These samples are all throughout there, that album. Yep. And also, not for the networks, but for made for syndication, um, Hanna-Barbera this year also made um, Samson and Goliath, which after the people who made Davy and Goliath issued a cease and desist, was renamed Young Samson. Samson and Goliath was a show huh. about a young boy who named Samson him and his dog who would be riding around on a motor scooter and they would so find terrible. they would find evil and trouble and young Samson yeah. would <laughs> smash his wristbands together and transform into a superhero who had the power of the biblical Samson and his dog yeah. he would smash them together again and the dog would turn into a lion I have no recollection of this at all this one may not have made it over there because this one we I did not even see this one when I was a kid because it, um, it was still in syndication Cartoon Network doesn't have... I don't think Cartoon Network still has the rights to it. As a matter. No, they have, they have it now. Oh. Boomerang has it now, but it took a while because yeah. it was sold to General Mills for them to syndicate themselves, and they kept it oh. away from the rest of the Hanna-Barbera shows, this show and another show called The Space Cadets, and they ran them for decades on their own. Yeah, on uh, the Cartoon Express on USA. Oh, they showed I it there? I remember seeing it on that. Yeah, okay. I remember seeing it on there. But yeah, like, it's... um. Watch my tour instead, basically. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> They're the same show. <laughs> but yeah, so these shows, you know, as you can tell, there's a lot of them to make in one year, but they were very popular. And of course, you know, they always say what goes up must come down. Wait, before you yep. continue, uh-huh. I've noticed that several of the, of the shows that you just mentioned, um, there was... Uh, slither of diversity it's it's not a diversity that we want but like shazam you mean well um for some reason correct me if i'm wrong but I, i'm just looking at art of young samson 
But he doesn't look white. He looks brown. Oh, he's he's on purpose. Is, I mean, the character I mean, was. I mean, the voice. Tim Matheson did the voice of Young Samson. I assumed he was white all the time. Oh, really? Because yeah. he doesn't look it in the. Show me what you're looking at, because I mean, on the cartoon, like he was. I just thought he was white, which you know is not oh, biblically is, accurate. Is he very? Anyway. Is he very pale on the cartoon? Yeah. Are you looking oh. at like fan art or something? No, I'm just looking at stuff on Google Images and. Yeah, show me. Show me, put it in the chat. Let me see it. And I'll show you what he looked like on the show because, like, uh, he was definitely white. He didn't even look like Samson Will looked. I remember when they had the Bible's T.R. miniseries and they had a black guy play Samson and everybody lost their black mind, their white minds. And I, I was quite amused at that turn of events. But yeah, this is what he looked like on the cartoon show. Right there. Him and him and his lion Goliath. You see that? N- yeah, that, yeah, that's that's a white boy, Ali. <laughs> yeah, it's a white boy with a tan. You, you put the picture in from the cartoon of um, Samson, regular Samson. Yeah, he's white. Even if he's like darker colored here, when he opens his mouth, it's definitely an American ass accent with no flavor to it. All right. So, like I was saying, um, what goes up must come down. And here's where all of this starts to come down. All right. In 1968, um, a team of parents up in Massachusetts started up a grassroots organization that they call Action for Children's Television. <laughs> um, it was started by Peggy Charon and um, Judy Chalfin, who are both from Newton, Massachusetts. They were appalled by the things their children were watching on television. Um, their first thing they attacked was in Boston, there was a kid's show called Romper's Romper Room where they advertised toys on the show and they got that shut down by complaining to the FCC. Their next complaint to the FCC involved all the shows that we just mentioned by specific name and character. Um, they were particularly offended by the quote-unquote weird monsters that they saw on Herculoids and on Fantastic Four. The punching and violence that they saw on my tour, Space Ghosts and Birdman. And the guns, the shooting, the violence, the murder, the knives, the stabbing, and the villains screaming, Aye! in heavily accented accents <laughs> that they saw on Johnny Quest, which, mind you, was running on Saturday yes. mornings unedited at this time. Just as it ran on ABC primetime. And so... Very quickly, these these superhero shows went out of favor in fashion networks like that, and were driven off the air. In 1968, Hannah Rivera did not make any new episodes of their once very popular Saturday morning shows. Okay, so I have to pause, ask you to pause right here. So I have a question. Uh-huh. So for all the the the, the rest of the hosts. How did your parents or guardians feel about you watching these shows? Did they have a problem? Did they like it? Did they watch it with you? Were they were they just nonchalant about it? 
What was the idea about in your household? Not nonchalant. My, I mean, my mom. My mom grew up in the '60s, so she grew up with these shows. She was like, she's encouraging me to watch these shows. It's like, check, you know, check this out. You know, my, my mom was very, very uh, understanding about you know entertainment, even like you know music and things. It's like it's it's just entertainment. You know, it's not the devil speaking through things. <laughs> All right, uh, Ken. Okay. How did your parents feel about you watching? Well, you didn't watch a lot of these, but like of the ones you did watch of the of like this bunch. <laughs> All right. I know I watched a lot of these shows with my dad. My dad didn't really care. My mom felt away about Johnny Quest and those um those pygmies, which is understandable. Um, but other than that, they oh, didn't yeah. really care. Um, so I'm guessing I'll leave you about this. Well, you can about to tell us about what, what the deal is. Okay, so here's the deal. <laughs> 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 Insert GIF for spills tea in Spanish. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, parents weren't really well. Some some parents were really not feeling it. The the, the adults that I was around, um, several of these shows because they depicted like um, a lot of violence and the guns and the lasers and all that. They thought it was like going to somehow uh, encourage us or influence us to be more violent. As kids, no. Granted, though, um, when we were kids and we saw this, I mean, yeah, sure, we went outside and we played and we we pretended to be these superheroes and these villains and whatnot. But I mean, I, I don't think anybody was getting violent. It was just pretend. But um, parents were, some parents were were very um, very vocal about their distaste for um, cartoons like this. So yeah, I got you. And I meant to, to correct earlier, they did make two more episodes of Fantastic Four for ABC, which ABC held on to Fantastic Four until 1970, but they didn't make any of the CBS shows anymore. Uh, they just re-ran the old ones, while CBS instead made their new show, The Archie Show, the center of their network um, lineup for Saturday morning at the time from Filmation. So that, of course, inspired him, I bear, to make a Archie clone, which became Scooby-Doo, Where Are You?, and they pretty much made that show over and over again, both new episodes of Scooby-Doo and Scooby-Doo ripoffs for the next 12 years. So, um, What they did make in 68 um, was a new show they called The Banana Splits Adventure Hour, which was, you know, you had live-action puppets, well, not pup costume characters designed by Sid and Marty Croft before they started their own studio. Um, who were a rock band of um, a dog, an elephant, a lion, and a bear, who would, um, you know, they would introduce these cartoons. They were adventure cartoons, but they were way toned down from what happened the year before. So you had Three Musketeers and the Arabian Nights, and they were sort of kind of like tamer versions of like the Birdmans and the Shazans and things like that. I remember these um, bear things. They scared me. <laughs> Yeah. And then they had Danger um, Island, the live song action was show. Absolutely terrible. Which I like the theme song. Oh, the, the banana. Oh, I, like, I hate it. I hate it. I, I like you. Don't, so you don't like this? Don't do it. It's the wrong brand of cheerful. It's just wrong. Something about that was creepy to me, and I, I was not cool with it, which is weird. I, I agree. Which is weird because I used to watch um, Pooh Corner. <laughs> oh, yeah. And that, and that didn't scare yeah. me. 
<laughs> but Fleego, Beagle, Drupal, Drupal, and Snork did. I, I could see that though. But remember, this was like 68. So they're, they're in that like hippie mod style. That's what the song was in. And actually, Barry White was actually one of the songwriters for the Bananas. He didn't write that song, but he was one of the songwriters because you know they would do songs on the okay. show. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it was one of his early jobs in the Mind industry. Blown. Okay, get in where you fit in. Um, and also in '68, they made another primetime show called "The New Adventures of Huckleberry Finn," which was a combo of live action and animation that ran on Sunday night at seven o'clock. In which, it bas- the basic premise was that Engine Joe from the Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer books. You know who was the bad guy? Problematic. Um, Problematic Chases Huck uh, <laughs> Finn, Tom Sawyer, and Becky Thatcher into a magic cave in their home in their hometown of Missouri, where they get lost in, and they keep finding these portals into animated worlds that they interact with. In at the time it was on, it was the most expensive half hour TV ever made, and it only ran for one season because the ratings weren't really there. But that was sort of kind of like them trying to find their balance before they found Scooby-Doo in the next year in 69. I can't remember if they, I... They didn't really show this one a lot. I didn't see that one very much at all, the um, Adventures of Hook Finn. Yeah, I've never seen that one. But yeah, and so when Scooby-Doo came, cor- came along, of course, like I said, they started making a whole bunch of shows about teenagers solving mysteries. Joe seen the Pussycast, the Funky Phantom, the Amazing Chan, the Chan Clan... Inchai oh Private Eye, Clue Club, Jabberjaw, uh, et cetera, et cetera, the fuck, et cetera. Oh, Jabberjaw. Yeah. My, my, my so thing was... So many damn shows. My thing was the Amazing Chan and the Chan Clan. And, um, and um, what was that other one you mentioned? Uh, Which um, one? The Clue Club or uh, Funky Clue Fan? Club. Oh, yeah. Clue Club. I mean, the, the theme songs were lit, but once the theme song went off, you had 23 minutes of bore. <laughs> I don't care. I'm sorry. I like Jabberjaws. <laughs> um, they did make one superhero show in between all of this. Well, two technically. So the first one was Super Friends. We, we talked about on the um, DC animated show with Three Fifths Podcast. Shout out to Three Fifths Podcast. Listen to them if you ain't listened to them already. Um, Super Friends was designed in a way to appease the ACT um, grassroots organization. So you had Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Robin, and sometimes Green Lantern, sometimes Green Arrow, sometimes Plastic Man. And instead of fighting bad guys like, like bad guys like Lex Luthor and Solomon Grundy and all of them, who they would eventually bring in years later into Super Friends, and when the show first started, the Super the Justice League was joined by teenagers Marvin and Wendy and their dog Wonder Dog, and they fought environmental problems, polluters. And all the shit Captain Planet will warn you against 20 years later. Yeah. Looting and polluting is, is not, not the way. way. Not the way. <laughs> no, I could, I could totally see that. Um, damn it, I ruined my fucking joke. Never mind. I saw Super Friends backwards. So I saw, like, the shit with, like, the challenge, you know, with Les Luthor and all of them first before I ever got to go all mm-hmm. the way back and see the original hour-long show from 73, and I was appalled at how boring it was. Appalled and offended. <laughs> when the ratings came in for stuff like this, what, what was it like? 
at the time. The ratings were okay for Super Friends, the original version. Like, um, but it did a lot better in the 60s and 76 when they redesigned it to be like an actual superhero show. And then much better in 79 when they brought in the supervillains. They just found ways to make it less violent, but still have those characters in there. That's cool. You like, know, you, know um, you couldn't really throw a punch less Luthor's jaw, but you, you know, you could like fight laser beams and things like that. Mm. You know, they had to find ways, you know, and have the advisors tell them, oh, you can't do that. You can't do this. You can't throw that punch. You can't do this, you know. Yeah. Um, all that sort of thing. Um, you in know, did, did they se- show Batman a lot, a lot in that show? What happened? Did they show Batman a lot in Super Friends? Yeah. But okay. remember, this was like Adam West type Batman. Okay. Yeah. You well, know, they sure the, did do Janet's hand dirty, though. Yeah, the Wonder Twins, who were basically like these space twins on Space Ghost repurposed with, yeah. a, with, with Shazam's magic ring. Mm-hmm. And they had a wow. Wonder Twins fist bump instead. Yeah, and whatchamacallit's power to turn... That, like, what was it? The, uh, the Fluid Man, from, yeah. No, Herculoids and... No, Fluid, Fluid Man's too. power to turn to water. Okay, but the, what didn't the, some of the Herculoids have... Something similar where they would bump each other and change powers or something. No, gooks and geese or what? No, she's no, um, no. They they are the Hercules all had their powers all the time. Um, Chuck and Nancy on Shazam bump like they put their ring together, so they had to fist bump to um, bring out Shazam. And then of course, Fluid Man on the Impossibles could turn. There was another cartoon you guys had mentioned, and he was, and it was these two like inhuman characters that had rhyming names and do it without, like. Well, Gloop and Gleep, they 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 could turn into anything, basically. Okay, that's I guess what, what you mean. Yeah, they were like a Gloop and Gleep in a way to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather watch Gloop and Gleep, be honest. Yeah, but yeah, I, even though they got done dirty, I like the way they did it. Where um, basically in the comics, Jan Van were like, t- went not Wendy and Marvin, sorry. They were uh, became like the Teen Titans, man, men in the chair, man and woman in the chair, mm-hmm. so to speak, in the comics. To borrow that term from Flash yeah. uh, and Spider-Man: Homecoming. Um, so, uh, and Wonder Dog turned out to be, just, you know, they found him or whatever and brought him into the uh, Titans Tower, their base, right? So, it turns out Wonder Dog is a plant by one of their villains, of and he turns into this monstrous beast who uh, basically eats. Uh, uh, Marvin and um, basically uh, maims Wendy so she can no longer walk. Oh no! Fun, fun stuff. Wow. Is Wendy Batman's niece like she is on the show? No. Um, in this one, her she's actually the daughter of a little-known villain named the Calculator. Hmm. Uh, yeah, but she also becomes the assistant to Oracle. Um, the character who used to be Batgirl. Uh, or is now Batgirl. It, long story short, there was a time in um, Batgirl's history where she was shot and paralyzed, and she became the the original person in the chair mm-hmm. uh, for Batman and family. I don't don't quote me on that if whether she's the original, but hey, um, that would be a good story, Brandon, for us to do about Batgirl, the the, the man in the fucking chair, or oh, the man in the chair. Yes. The trope. Um, <laughs> I could see that. And anyway. the other superhero who sort of counts, but maybe sort of doesn't. I, he's not in the rundown because I just realized he sort of counts. Is um Hong Kong Fooey. 
Really? Yeah, from 1974. You know, um, Hong Kong Fui was more of a cartoony show, but it was about, you know, a dog who worked as a janitor um, for a police station. Um, he uh, would jump into his filing cabinet and become Hong Kong Fui, the, su- the superheroic kung fu master. Uh-huh. Voiced by Scatman Crothers. Very blue collar. So he was sort of kind of like a, a dog version of Jim Kelly. <laughs> I'm not touch I'm not touching that. <laughs> oh. Speaking of dogs, in 1976, um, ABC bought the rights to Scooby-Doo from CBS, and they decided to make it an hour show by bringing in a second character to join Scooby-Doo, and that character became Donald Mutt Dog Wonder. And so Donald Mutt Dog Wonder was a show about a Batman parody uh, superhero named the Blue Falcon, whose real name was Radley Crown. He was an art dealer, an art collector, um, who... When he was called upon by secret agents that um, he sort of kind of worked with, would become the Blue Falcon and drive or fly around in the Falcon car. And his companion was an android dog named Dynamut. Who thought like this and was very goofy and didn't really know what he was doing, BF. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I remember this thing. Yep. That's very much a 1970s Hanna Barbera theme with that disco lean to it. <laughs> disco lean. Yeah. Some of them themes like went Falcon's super hard mask. into disco. White people loved disco back then before Demolition Night. <laughs> yeah. Wait, so um, why was he called Dino Mutt though? Like, is, is there something dinosaur? Yeah, he's a robot. He's like an no. android uh, robot dog. The dino like yeah, dynamic. Why dino? Like dynamic. Oh, dynamic. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, I get it. Not dinosaur. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> okay. The blue yeah, like, mask, oh. it kind of just oh, that's right. casts a shadow going. over his face. It doesn't yeah, it really ca- go on his face. Yeah. Okay, D-Y, not D-I. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. There's an episode of um, Dexter's Laboratory that features um, Blue Falcon and Dino Mutt. Um, Blue Falcon brings Dino Mutt to Dexter to have him fix him. And Dexter's like, this, how can this guy possibly be your sidekick? And makes Blue Falcon a new Dino Mutt who's like far more aggressive and efficient but aggressive. And it's sort of kind of like a very funny like, um, take on the whole Dino Mutt thing. Dino Mutt for, like, well, I think, I say Dino Mutt's Fairly popular. People know who he is, right? Him and Blue Falcon. Um, I remember his look. I just don't remember all the other features to him. Okay. Because, you know, he was a, one of the characters who was on uh, Hanna-Barbera's, you know, uh, Laugh Olympics show, where all their characters competed, where most of their characters competed, the mm-hmm. ones who weren't under other copyrights and trademarks. Um, <laughs> Um, and Donald Mutt also was on the episode of um, he appeared well Scooby-Doo appeared on his show three times since you know they're part of the same block and they air right right back in front of each other and Donald Mutt also appeared as part of Scooby-Doo's All-Star Laugh Olympics in 77 and Scooby's All-Stars in 78 like they don't have the original opening titles to the Scooby-Doo Donald Mutt hour anymore but you know they sort of kind of featured Scooby Doo and Dino, but you know, sitting there like arms around each other, like, you know, we're buddies. Yeah, we're buddies. You know, that kind of a thing. 
So I remember watching Down on Miami Surprise when Scooby Doo popped up on there because, you know, by the time that we saw it, they were airing, you know, they were syndicated separately. But in the 70s on ABC, they aired, you know, back to back as part of an hour block of their own. All right. So I don't know why I put the push the applause, my bad. Big for Donald, but um, <laughs> after that, there are a couple of shows that Hammer Bear made that sort of kind of fit into the superhero vein after that. Um, Space Stars in 1981 for NBC brought back Space Ghosts and the Herculoids, for which they made new episodes of. They also had three new segments to the show, which, went, which ran an hour. Um, Teen Force, which was sort of kind of a bootleg legion of superheroes with, you know, these cosmic teenage superheroes. Space Ace and the Space Mutts was about a superhero named Space Ace, not the video game character. This was before the video game character. It's sort of kind of weird. Uh, who commanded an um, army of, a small battalion, I guess, of dog heroes, one of which was Astro from the Jetsons. And then the Space Stars finale, which was like, like a team-up episode where all four of those shows combined and they would fight like some sort of big bad that they could only fight together. Crossover team-up episode. Yep. Uh, the Challenge of the GoBots from 1984. So this is, this is like the precursor to Transformers, Robots oh no. in Disguise? This, is, no, 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 this no. is the competing brand against the Transformers from back in the day. Yeah. Oh, that's a that's a poor man's Transformers then. Jesus. Yeah. They actually came, they actually did come before the Transformers, but no one cares anymore, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Aw. <laughs> um, because and they actually, actually uh, even the even, no go ahead yeah even their show came out a week before the Transformers show came on the air but nobody cares anymore because Transformers beat their ass um, from here across the country <laughs> exactly oh. the Transformers was actually uh, a combination of like two Japanese brands from Takara it was Diclone and um, some other toy that I can't remember okay but it was all it all existed in Japan and it was brought okay. here, and uh, I think uh, so. Larry Ham, one of the one of the guys involved with the, the original GI, the GI Joe, uh, the 1985 GI Joe, kind of packaged it together and put a story together with the Decepticon Autobots. But it was all yeah, about like so. It's all about toys. Yeah, so I have a confession to make. I was a GoBots fan as a kid. I know, I know. I'm sorry. But it, wow. it came my bear, right? It was all it came on it like I remember it came the well, I used to remember the time it came on, but I thought it was fun, even though I knew it was like supposed to be like Transformers. It had its own personality, its own attitude. It used to come on USA, I think mm-hmm. at like either 7 30 in the morning or 4 30 in the afternoon or something like that. And it was a more humorous show. I mean as more like when you put that on the docket, I had to I had to um YouTube to to see it and I was like, oh I remember this. Mm-hmm. But I obviously I forgot all about it. Mm-hmm. And but you remember the only Transformers thing I thought now because we got them Michael Bay movies. Yeah. The only shoo, thing shoo, that shoo, was shoo. I thought it weird about it was they didn't actually like you know how they would join together as a big robot? Uh-huh. It was more like they were you like instead of them all becoming one being, you would just see all of them in like some kind of exoskeleton. So you had robots in, like in that side controlling a big robot together. Right. You sound really yeah, far yeah. away. Are you by your microphone, man? I I had turned it down a little bit. Okay. Is that better? That's better, yeah. Okay. 
But yeah, yeah. And I like the GoBots though. So, you know, like, you can't say GoBots around people nowadays and be like, oh, you like, that's an insult among kids' group in the 80s. They're like, oh, you you probably went in a kids' group with GoBots, didn't you? <laughs> oh, really? Yes. People really use that as a. People wow. nerve check you on GoBots. Yes, they do. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> um, but the truth of the matter is, uh, Transformers is trash and always has been trash. They just have they have better toys. Maybe <laughs> not. No, not comment. Transformers fans, That's right here. <laughs> Call it. Hey, at me. Uh, um, far less defense defendable than GoBots was Galtar and the Golden Lance, which came out in '85. It was a fake ass He Man. And that's basically yeah, all you need to know was. about it. Yeah, he put his lance together and yeah, that, that's it. That's it. Yeah, he's, been, he's been covered. Yep, moving forward. Um, the Pirates <laughs> of Dark Water, yes. which came on Fox Kids in the early 90s. I remember this show, but I don't remember the particulars about it. I just remember that it was like, sort of kind of like, it was very wordy. That's yeah, as much I remember wordy. about it. It took place on, uh, I know a lot about this show. It took place on a planet called... Um, Octane or something like that. And it was about a quest where this this prince had a um, like a compass that helped him find the, the 13 treasures of rule. So the episodes were all around him and his companions who were pirates trying to collect the, the treasures while um, these evil pirates were going after them trying to get the, the, the treasure as well. Because the treasures actually were pushing back the dark water, like the dark water in the in the title. So the, the all the treasures of rule, when I guess when they come together, they actually make the dark water go away. Okay. And it's so funny, everything was always 13 with them because you had 13 episodes of a, of a show per year with Saturday morning and animated oh, shows. I just realized. And the I, show never, I've... it never ended. It never ended. It did not uh, conclude. He never got all the treasures. Uh, I just realized that I've, I've seen this show. So it reminds me, now I know, um, this show reminds me of, uh, you know, those kind of uh, team up movies and shows, almost like um, Sinbad. Like, remember that Sinbad movie that Brandon you talked about, the animated Sinbad movie, the one that DreamWorks did from two thousand three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It reminded me of that, and you're right, it does. And also a bit of Atlantis, just just the way the, the yes. characters, the um, the Ad- the Disney Atlantis movie, just the way the yeah. the team up was, um, yeah. I remember when Atlantis came out, it was it was derided as being Saturday morning like. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I think people would agree with you from the other end as well. Um yeah. a couple of other shows that aren't on here that I think I should mention at least. Um in '93 for T for TBS, a Hammer Bear made SWAT Cats, the Radical Squadron. Oh yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Show. yeah. Which was, that. you know. Um, these two, uh, it was like you spent on like basically a like cat world, a cat planet, I guess, or at least a cat city. What, what were the names of the two titular characters? I do not remember. I had to look it up because I didn't. I yeah. didn't research SWAT cats. Yeah. I just not remembered SWAT cats before we left the. Um, um, let me see if I, can I remember that that was a couple months ago. Uh, trivia night at this bar, this gaming bar that I go to. It there, that was that was one of the questions. What are the what are the names of the two titular brothers? Um, SWAT cats, T Bone yeah, and, and Razor. Yeah, and okay, very few teams right. knew it. This the theme that night was cartoons, and man, <laughs> those they, those were some hard questions. 
Yeah. Um, Why were they radical? Because it was 1993 and everything was radical. Everything had to be radical. Everything was radical. Extreme. Yeah. Everybody was drinking Surge. (laughs) (laughs) Power Extreme. Power Extreme. That's right, Centurions. Yeah, we we didn't cover that one. Well, no, that was that was Ruby Spears. Okay. In the eighties, Taft Broadcasting bought Ruby Spears. They had bought Henry Barrett in the sixties, so. You it's easy to confuse Ruby Spears and Hammer Bear shows from that point going forward because Ruby mm-hmm. Spears were the Hammer Bear for a very long time anyway, so they all get mixed together. And actually, now legally speaking, when Turner bought Hammer Bear, they also bought the rights to the Ruby Spears catalog and characters. So on okay. paper, they are now now Hammer Bear characters anyway. Thundar, the Centurions, um, Fang Face, all of them, they're now Look, considered Hammer Bear. So- Characters now. So, what are the chances okay. that I can get a Centurion's movie? Slim to none. Damn. What was that? Wait a minute. What's the, that it Light Nights or whatever property? Toy. That was going to like a toy that I think might have had a minor cartoon that they're making a movie for. It's going to be part are of the Universal Unit. Visionaries? Yes. Yeah, Visionaries also to sell toys. It was giant sized G.I. Joe's with holograms in their chest with uh, like animal totems. Yeah, like if that, yeah, I think that's going to be part of the uh, whatever the Universal they're going to have there. Oh, they're no, dark well, who's not not them the um, Paramount? Who's got tra- tra- yeah Paramount? Their um, uh, their um, what's oh, the name of the toys? Hasbro property. Hasbro, Hasbro properties um thing. Yeah, because all of those had toys yeah. that are Hasbro. So, um, so yeah, uh, that's where we're at. Yep. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, in '93, Hanna Barbera also assumed production of the uh, Captain Planet and the Planeteers. Silence. Y'all didn't like Captain yeah. Planet. He's a hero. I thought you. We no, thought I, you had like more. <laughs> We're the Planeteers. You, you can, can be, be one, one too. Because the saving our planet is the thing to do. Looting and polluting. Looting and polluting. It's not the way. Here what Captain, Captain Planet, Planet has to say. The power yeah. is yours. Yes, it is. MIT has yeah, the worst so power. Captain Planet. Heart, really? Heart? <laughs> <laughs> my friend who's from Colombia, he hated MIT because he's like, MIT is a disgrace to his, his, his culture. <laughs> yes, he is a disgrace to his country. He really is. But yeah, so Captain Henry Barra assumed Captain Planet from Geek. Um, this is about the time they made the Johnny Quest telefilm, so they look like the Johnny Quest telefilms, like and sort of got the same production style. And they made, I think, two more seasons of Captain Planet before Ted Turner had had enough of being an environmental hippie. With good intentions. But yeah, um, so I think that's everything before they were finally bought by, before Tom, Turner was bought by Tom Warner. And at that point, you know, Hannah Marbera ceased to technically exist. Mm-hmm. Um, because even though they still, I think, when they made Scooby-Doo stuff, still called it Hannah Marbera Presents, it would say Henry Barry and Warner Brothers Presents. I think it still says that Henry Barry and Warner Brothers Presents. That's because, technically speaking, all this stuff was actually all made at Warner Brothers Animation from that point forward. 
They actually sold the building at Hamar Bear. It's now, I think, at LA Fitness in California. What? Wow. Or at least oh, it wow. was at the time. Right? No, it's apartments now. It was LA Fitness at the time. I think now it's an apartment complex. Like a luxury mm. apartment complex built around um, Cuyahoga Boulevard in Hollywood, California. So when you go to your um, pay your pay your rent, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> if you trip away at the wall too um, enough, you might see Fred Flintstone. <laughs> I'm sure that's a selling point for those lofts now. They probably like. Oh, it is. It is. I, I mean, but they probably like scraped the right way, like the whatever they put over it initially. Uh, you know, over the building to see. Now you can see the homage to Yogi Berra. Yogi Berra. So sorry. I'm about to put it into the chat. It's called Cayuinga Place. <laughs> um, there are no available units right now, but they have um, um, two bath and be- two bath two beds for um, uh, 1,100 square feet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it looks nice. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it does indeed look nice. Oh, you know, this is the hood for like their their um studios are only starting at sixteen hundred in California. Mm, well, that, that was the price? I didn't see the price. I'm seeing the price right now. Like some of these places. Oh, well oh, sorry, that was the wrong one. But uh they ain't show the price. My bad. Yeah, if it's sixteen hundred for uh two, yeah, that would that would be but, good. But it looks like this, like all the, the like the similar neighborhoods. That's what I was reading, like areas around it. They're they're that cheap. I mean, that's how much they are starting at. So in California, mm, I don't know. Uh... Anyway, <laughs> Gotta be careful. <laughs> what? All right, but yeah, and so. <laughs> Right. What's my bad? What happened? It's actually all right. And so, after all that, well, the way that most of us saw these shows in syndication on Saturday or Sunday mornings on your local stations, and Hannah Barbera sold those shows, you know, Herculoid, Space Ghost, all of that, and even Johnny Quest through a syndication package called Hannah Barbera's World of Super Adventure in the early 80s. And in 84, they added more of the comedy shows and some original shows like, um, was it Yoki's Treasure Hunt and some New Yoki Bear cartoons and the New Jetsons. And they started calling it the Fantastic World of Hanna-Barbera. And that's the name Fun. that ran for Tasty. the next 10 years. And so that's how I saw Johnny Quest and Space Ghost and all that before the Cartoon Network came along on Sunday mornings. Hmm. Like before church. Or Sunday afternoons after church, because it ran for a while. It was like a big block. You know, fun, 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 fantastic. <laughs> mm. uh, a lot of people now, of course, know Space Ghost and all of them from Space Ghost Coast to Coast, which was a late night talk show that um, Cartoon Network created in 1994 that repurposed the old original film from Space Ghost and set new voices and new stories to it, having Space Ghost, he's running a late-night talk show, and he's captured Zorak and Motar and forced them into slavery as the production, the product, the director and the head of the band, respectively, for his uh, yeah, late-night show. 
and they would actually interview. Yeah, I found that show by accident. <laughs> really? It it was on, and I was like, "What is this?" And I was looking at it, and I was like, "That's Space Ghost," but like, why is he talking to a guy in a TV screen? <laughs> What's going on here? So I just I just kept watching because it was just so yeah. weird. Citizen Tim, how are you doing today? <laughs> exactly. I wonder what, what was the what was the inspiration behind that show, Brandon? With his, with his well, at the time, um, Cartoon Network wanted to have original programming, but they had no original programming budget. Mm-hmm. So they did what they could, what was the cheapest things to do, and they took the video footage from Space Ghost, did a little bit of compositing to it, put some things together, and made original shows. That's why if you see the first couple episodes of Space Ghost Coast to the Coast, all of the interviewees. Are all some mm-hmm. kind of like B and C list people, mm-hmm. like Bobcat yeah. Goldwith and like people like that out. who are working at Turner at the time, and yeah. they you know stop by. That's also why it was only fifteen minutes long. Okay. But well, my know, question more or less more, was more on the grounds of um, well, never mind. Oh no, no, no! What was it? Never mind. Don't worry. Okay, but um. That show sort of kind of led to the style and format of um, what would become Adult Swim, Cartoon Networks. You know, they are now super popular. Um, it's not even a block anymore. It's considered its own network now when they do ratings. Yeah. You know, they took that Space Ghost, Coast to Coast vibe of, you know, making a low budget but still funny and popular show. You know, repurposing yeah. old Hanna-Barbera um, stuff. And they would, um, of course, go on to make uh, the Brack show on Adult Swim, and Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law, which were which was similar. Yeah. Where they had was it called William Street, or was it uh, Ghost Industries? The both. Oh, it's, it's oh. the same company. Um, they actually are down across the street okay. from Turner. Um, if you were in Atlanta, you know you see the Turner Complex on seventy five. On the other side is the original TBS building. That's where Adult Swim and William Street and all of them are, literally on William Street. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Um, I always get a big kick when I'm leaving like Midtown. Like if, I, if I'm leaving Ken, Kendrick's house and I got to go back to my place, I got to get on William Street to get back on the interstate and I drive by the old TBS building where they have the Adult Swim stuff on the walls. I'm surprised you don't see more pictures cool. from like that Adult Swim wall because that's awesome. Yeah, I would, I'd agree. I definitely agree. They also made um, Cartoon Planet for TBS, if y'all remember that. It was the mm-hmm. kind of like more kid-friendly version of Space Ghost Coast to Coast where they introduced cartoons for kids. Mm. But Space Ghost Coast to Coast really wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. They would get a little bit edgy here and there. They would cuss and stuff a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember when they introduced the cartoon cartoons, which was first called What Are Cartoons? And they had the Space Ghost Coast to Coast cast as the, like, um, you know, as like as hosting like it was an award show, and Space Ghost Council of Doom were the judges of the cartoons. Oh, who was the best original cartoon? Cartoon, like it was a very offbeat but funny and ki- like you know for a teenager at the time. Was I a teenager? No, I was I was a preteen at the time. Interesting way to introduce you know this new wave of Hanna Barbera cartoon characters, you know Powerpuff Girls and um, Dexter's Laboratory and Johnny Bravo and all of that. Back when they were brand new, nobody knew what they were gonna be. Um, and then of course you had the episode of Harvey Birdman. Harvey Birdman, he was a lawyer, and Bird Boy they called him Peanut, and he was like the um, the office temp. 
And I think the first or at least the second episode of Harvey Birdman was about uh, Dr. Benson Quest and Race Bannon fighting over custody of Johnny and Haji because the implication was that they were gay. And it was it was so it was so bizarre, but but funny to see you know Cartoon Network make such fun of Hannah Barbera in that way, using the actual characters. But they made Doctor Quest like he they made him like a complete stereotypical sissy, like um, like Johnny and Haji, um, not the baseball into his lab, and he he was like, "You boys get out of here!" He threw the baseball and it went a good strong three feet in front of him before it fell. Because he couldn't throw. He threw like he threw quote unquote wow. like a punk. Okay, so why would they do that to their own? Like you'd think that they would want to I don't know, revere their cartoons. Well, it was intended for one? adults, you know, and it was, you know, supposed to be like a subversive take on all those Hannah Barbera shows. They had an episode where I mean Fred yeah. Flintstone was like uh, Tony Soprano and he was like um <laughs> it was a mob boss. Yeah, clearly. I just thought that, you know, that would, I don't know. Well, I guess people who grew up with the show are older now, so they'd, they'd get it. But Oh, way older. I mean, people who grew up with um, Harvey Burt, who Burt, like man, Super old parents. by now. Yeah, grandparents even. Yeah. Grandparents. Those, man, those Harvey Birdman cases were hilarious. Yes, they were. Shaggy and Scooby like, got busted for smoking weed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in comics, the Hanna-Barbera superheroes appeared in comics almost from their inception in the 60s. Um, so many publishers have had the rights to them. Dell Comics, Gold Key, Charlton, Marvel, and now, after all, the Warner Brothers um, purchasing DC now has the current rights to the um, the characters. And because they aren't restricted by, you know, having to please, you know... Um, the FCC and the parent groups, you know, they could do bigger and better stories with those characters than they never really could on TV. And to that point, DC Comics actually currently has a, a series called Future Quest, in which Johnny Quest and Haji and all of them, they interact with um, Space Ghost, Birdman, Frankenstein Jr. and the Impossibles, Mitor, and all of them. And this, you know, really big, you know, superhero uh, to the same level and quality as you see in DC or Marvel, like storyline with these big villains and this big world cross, um, cross-dimensional thing going on. It's a really good series. If you haven't um, read it yet, the trades are awesome. It's by Jeff Parker and Doc Shaner and Steve Rude. Love Steve Rude. Yep. Yeah, I just bought that set. <laughs> yep. On on the strength of the recommendation, on the strength of that. All right. So I think that's all I have. Y'all have anything else to add? Hammer Bears um, shows were like half sound effects. They weren't half animation. Um, <laughs> hmm. Well, I mean, that's, that's actually, you know, a thing of the financials of TV animation. They couldn't be half animation. That's why Johnny Quest went so high, far over budget anyway. And also, I should mention that they did get Johnny Quest. They pulled Johnny Quest off the air in 68 when people complained. They brought it back in 72 in heavily edited versions. And so when Carson Network got it, the first thing they did was re-edit it for cable because they had been cut way down. 
to please parents who were sort of kind of antsy about it beforehand. But yeah, so if you guys have enjoyed, oh, first, Tim, thanks so much for joining us today. Where can people find you online? Um, on uh, facebook.com slash Kuroverse, that's K-U-R-O-V-E-R-S-E, and on uh, Instagram and Twitter at Kuroverse, do graphic design, art, comics, whatever. Suits my fancy. Hit me up. All right. If you guys have enjoyed what you've heard, you can go to SSMPodcast.com and find more. You can find our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Acast, and we actually need to have an announcement, and we'll have it at the beginning of the next show as well. We will be pulling the show from SoundCloud at the end of the month for reasons if you read the news, which should be obvious. Um, SoundCloud's... They going away. They going away. Not yet, but very soon. Um, they are um, downward spiral. Yeah. Um, so we'll be pulling the show at the end of July off of SoundCloud. So if you want to, if you are listening to the show on SoundCloud right now and want to continue, please join us over at SSMPodcast.com. You can add the show to your favorite podcatcher and listen to it that way and get it automatically as soon as I upload it. And that's probably the best thing I would suggest, you know, because it will not be on SoundCloud any longer after July. Um, but you can go to visit SSMPodcast.com to learn and find more. You can find us on all social media under the handle at SSMPodcast. If you would like to leave us a voicemail, you can call us at 404-954-0349. Emails go to podcast at SSMPodcast.com. And if you would like to donate to the show, you can go to SSMPodcast.com slash donate to do so. Thanks everybody for listening. This has been the Say Something Nice Podcast. I'm Race Bannon. I'm Birdman. <laughs> I'm Dr. Doom. <laughs> Come on, Ken, you gotta be somebody. Is he there? Not there. Well, well, Ken can be okay. my sidekick. Ken can be Bird Boy. He can be Peanut. <laughs> Bird Boy. Wow. If you're not present, that's the role you get. We'll see you guys next time. <laughs>